<clears throat> this meeting is being recorded. There we go. We're being recorded. Hello, everybody. And uh, welcome Hi. to the 145th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And uh, actually, it's quite a rare recording because normally we just have one guest, but we've got three guests this morning. So for those of you watching uh, on the video cast, you'll see that yourself. For those on the podcast, we've got three guests. Claire Clitheroe. Hello, Claire. And we've got Maeve Birdsall. Hi. And uh, Jasmine Priestley. Hello. Hello. And we've got a slight delay on Claire's uh, um, uh, signal. So we'll, we'll, we'll bear, if you'll bear with us, um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, anyway, so uh, how are you, Stan? Uh, fine. Weather that was unexpected. I was expecting rain today. Oh, I don't know what it's like where you are, Frank, but it's, uh, it's okay here well half an hour ago it's beautiful sunshine overlooking puffin island but it's pouring with rain now um so uh but actually stan i noticed whenever i say to you how are you stan you always turn to your side look out the window as if that it's the weather that's going to dictate how good your day is it is (laughs) (laughs) my wife my wife is a sun lover (laughs) my wife is a sun lover so if it's sunny and nice my day is going to be better (laughs) (laughs) okay well, look, let's go around and uh, ask our guests to introduce themselves formally. So we'll go to Claire who's on this sort of slightly uh, signal. So over to you, Claire. So what do you do <laughs> and where do you work and how do you know everybody? Right. Um, I'm Claire Clitheroe. I work at Cope Academy Oakwood in Leeds. I used to work with Jasmine and Maeve, who worked there at the same time. I'm a nursery teacher. I've been teaching about 20 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you've been, have you been strongly influenced then by the, uh, the Priestley and Birdsall sort of philosophy of education? <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, we all work together in the same unit for a long, long time. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've grown together in our thinking i think brilliant brilliant um mave do you want to introduce yourself yes i'm mave birdsall uh i taught at the same school as claire in uh, in gipton in leeds for 37 years at the same school and i retired last july and now i am loving retirement but doing a little bit of consultancy work in early years and some volunteering at my daughter's school and at the school that jasmine's now at uh, yeah. I'm absolutely loving it. Well, the, lo- loving doing it without having to do any of the sort of planning and preparation and management stuff. Yeah, really. <laughs> Just enjoying being with the children and uh, yeah. engaging and interacting with them. Yeah, I love it. Come on, Jasmine. She still, still, still helps with the. She still helps with the planning and resourcing, <laughs> and <laughs> she's still there. What, 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 where are you now, Jasmine? Just explain what um, you're doing. So I worked at Oakwood with Claire and Maeve um, for nine years. So this June, I will have been a qualified teacher for 10 years, I wow. realised. Um, so I worked for nine years at Oakwood and then I've um, now moved on to a new school in Leeds, um, Manor Wood, which is another early years unit, which works in a very similar way to the way... Um, we worked at Oakwood. It's um, very heavily inspired by the Reggio Emilia approach, um, taking the children's lead 
Um, it's a large unit where the children in the um, in nursery and reception are mixed together, which is really exciting for me. So yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Good, good. I mean, was Manor Wood committed to Reggio Emilio in the same way, or have you had were you brought in to sort of like make it more heavily sort of influenced by that? No, it was very committed in the same way. So um, the foundation stage leader, um, Maeve and Hilary know each other and they went to Reggio together. So, um, And I actually did my first teaching placement at the school. So it's really strange. I've gone like full <laughs> circle. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, I have to say, uh, it was always a great pleasure um, to visit you and your setting. Um when you walk through down that corridor and you open those doors, it's as if you're sent, you know, walking into a, a secret garden. And uh, I always remember that uh, the the effective way you used lighting and uh, to to create an atmosphere. Um, I mean, uh, it, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because you used to have loads of people come and visit you. Um, Claire, does that still go on in the settings that you you're involved in? No. Um- not not in the same way no definitely not I think yeah. uh, the influence of of Maeve and all her contacts really helped with that yeah yeah it's still a, a place to be yeah I, I'm sure yeah thank you well, it is breaking up a little bit there Claire so uh, but we, I think we got the gist of uh is still influenced by it, even though they may not be there. So, uh, yeah. We, we, um, we loved it when you came to visit, Frank, because you were always so positive and, and so genuinely interested in what we were doing with the children. Um, so we, we loved your visits. Oh, well, that's kind yeah, of you. So, go go on. Can you see why I brought these guests on, Stan? <laughs> right, OK. Um, thank you for that. Uh, it's great. Uh, anyway, Stan. Uh, what's caught your eye this week? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I've just been looking at uh, the stuff that's come out from the DFE on, well, I would call it mergers and acquisitions uh, no, no. of um, Matt's and their vision for various different <laughs> education improvement areas. I think that's the right term. Um, but I was looking at particularly at, at one, which is where I am now, and the Ofsted information that they're using as part of this this thing. And in the Ofsted information, this authority has got 18% of schools outstanding, which I would think was fairly high. Pretty good. 73% good, 4% requires improvement, and 4% inadequate, which I would say that doesn't sound like an authority no. that ought to be in an education improvement area. It, it, so either <laughs> Ofsted are wrong or the results don't match with Ofsted's findings, yeah. the, the outcome results. And what surprises me is there's no mention, and this is this is the link today, there's no mention of nurseries or early years providers and, and the Ofsted judgments with those, yet, yet it says that um, by the end, the, there's a lower percentage of a good level of development by the end of uh, early years. But without having some data in about how many nurseries, how many schools have nurseries, how many private nurseries there are, it doesn't seem to make, well, it doesn't seem to make sense to me that. Yeah. 
I, uh, I've got to be careful because I chair the Blackpool PEIA um, and uh, I, I was really quite annoyed when the, uh, I won't mention the actual publication, but a very well-known publication wrote an article about that um, paper. And, uh, and anyone who's read it will notice that there across the north, there are, I think it must be about 12 PEIA mm. areas. And uh, when I reviewed Blackpool's um, report, it, I mean, every, everywhere needs to improve. But looking at the report, I thought, well, actually, that compares reasonably favourably to all the other areas in the north that have been identified for one of these uh, improvement areas. But the publication chose to put a picture of Blackpool Tower as the photograph to accompany the article and, and quoted Blackpool as the first reference, you know, when I would have thought the real story is reading the reading that paper and going through and picking out which area they felt was probably the most in need of support. Um, but it's the same old, same old, isn't it? You know, and, and when I contacted the journalist, the journalist said, well, Blackpool Tower is an iconic image. You know, we, we like using that because everybody associates with it. And, and that's one. Of, that's great in some respects, but bloody awful in other respects, because it's just the same old, same old, same old narrative, you know. And I think those that work, oh, I'm going on there, <laughs> but those that work in really, you know, in, in challenging communities, you know, what we don't need is that sort of lazy journalism. You know, we need, we need people that highlight the real issues, not the ones that they think are going to sell newspapers. Well, my worry with the whole of this, though, Frank, is that what we're doing is basically industrial economics aren't we we're trying to make these uh, multi-academy trusts bigger and bigger so that they have mm. some kind of, uh, of savings and in the same time losing the autonomy that was the whole thing that we sold academies on so that yeah. there is no um and it actually says you know single single multi-academy trusts are, are basically the target <laughs> That they are, yeah. Acquisitions. Yeah. I just wonder, does an authority or does an area that's that's trying to to come to terms with the fact it's not doing as well as it might need a complete reorganisation again of its schools? Mm. And the parents want their school to be again changed, things like uniform, all that kind of stuff comes into it. Mm. I don't sorry, I'm having a rant now. I just I think if there's if according to this, if there are three inadequate schools in an authority, put the money into those schools instead of trying to change the whole of the area in order yeah. to deal with it. Right, rant over. Sorry. Well, the, the, uh, Michael Gove gave <clears throat> uh, a rocket boost to academies in 2010. I think it was 2011 when he uh, was in a way couldn't understand what well, came under pressure from schools who felt they weren't they they could manage things better themselves these were the good schools so you know th th this is where the single academy trust started you know and they generally came from good and outstanding schools um, but actually i think that there are issues here around how you keep the whole area you know the whole not just the local authority but the general area together in a in a sort of working together to collaborate and all this sort of stuff. It's very difficult to do that when you've got loads of multi-academy trusts, you know, doing their own thing, you know. Um, yeah. And if you're, if you're a single school or a local authority maintained school, 
you've got to be feeling not only are Ofsted looking at you over the shoulder, but most of the other schools in your area yeah, are looking definitely. over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. hovering. Yeah. Okay. Maeve, what's caught your eye this week? Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before I saw that, uh, nothing to do with education, that Joe Biden was going to visit Northern Ireland. And um, that's a very important thing for me because, not that I know much about Joe Biden, but just raising the profile of the Good Friday Agreement. And it's actually 25 years tomorrow, Good Friday, um, that that the, the agreement was signed. And I, I was born and brought up in Northern Ireland you wouldn't think it from my accent, but I was. No. Um, and we actually moved to England because of the situation um, ah. in Northern yeah. Ireland in, in the early 70s. And, you know, we, we really don't want to go back to those days. And I think, uh, bearing in mind that last week the um, threat level was raised um, yeah. to severe in Northern Ireland, I think this is, you know, it's, it's keeping the momentum going and it's keeping it in the profile um, and people's kind of, um, thoughts that yes it, we have to keep this at all costs because there, there is there is still I mean I, I visit regularly and you know things are still happening over there I mean the you know high profile case of the police officer that was shot in front of children um, a couple of months ago was just absolutely dreadful um, so I, I think that's a little glimmer of hope and, and, and just keeping it in people's minds and raising the profile of it so that that was important for me. Yeah. I mean, I think as a historian as well, it's interesting that uh, that is such an important part of of life in the UK at the moment, isn't it? Where, whether or not that's sort of our relationship with the EU, Brexit, all of that is involved in that. And it's, it could be quite interesting to see how many of our teenagers, uh, you know, perhaps even studying history at, at GCSE, actually understand the importance of that agreement and what it actually means. You know, um, it, to me, it doesn't feel as though it, it's all right to know about me- medieval England. <laughs> that's fine. But actually, that's unlikely. To, well, some of that may have an impact on where we are today. It might do, mightn't it? But actually yeah. having an understanding as to why that policeman was attacked, you know, why that was such a significant event. Mm. To have pe- young people understanding that I think is really relevant. But I mm. wonder how many of them actually could give you a decent answer on it. Jasmine, what's caught your eye this week? Um, uh, well, actually, this morning I saw an article um, about the amount of teachers that are having to take second jobs. Oh, yeah. And um, it just, well, it really caught my eye because I'm working with a lot of teachers now who are having to um, work in before and after school clubs, having to tutor just to be able to live because the cost of living, obviously, as we know, has risen so much and um, teachers still haven't been given the pay, a pay rise yet that we agree with. And that was something that um, really struck me. And obviously, we know that a lot of teachers are leaving the profession. And um, so, yeah, that article really caught my eye. Did you see the article as well that said because Scottish and Welsh teachers are earning more that if you live in Northumberland, people are looking to cross the border to Scotland. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Well, I went on the um, the union Zoom call, the NEU union um, Zoom call, and they worked out that a teacher who's been working six years in England is on ten thousand pounds less than a teacher who's been teaching six years in Scotland right now. 
So wow. it's it's just crazy. I do think the other part of it, from a school's point of view, is despite the wording that said it's fully funded, it doesn't appear to be. Oh, it's not fully funded. It's fully, fully funded if you take into account money that schools have had. Yeah. Recently, not specifically for pay. No, and it's that, that's just so, so insulting that they think that we can possibly, out of a budget that's already stretched, then yeah. give give teachers the pay rise it's just it's terrible but on, on online the government have issued a, a I don't, you, you must have read it that, that actually says it is fully funded yeah no that's it's not that's bending bending the truth somewhat yeah, yeah it is it's funny my daughter's a <clears throat> our eldest daughter and the middle one uh middle child uh, primary school teachers i think um i think they are I've never been very militant, you know, but actually I think this has reached a point where, you know, they have, they are, well, one of them's on maternity leave, but the other one is striking, you know, and you think for this to get to that stage is, is a, a sign of how desperate it's all got, you know, so even the moderates are, are thinking that we've got nothing left to do. I mean, how, 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 on that call, Jasmine, how, what was the tone of it like? Um. Well, yeah, people are very unhappy. And um, I think out of the 66% of people who voted to accept or reject the offer, 98% rejected the offer. So that shows <coughs> the deal. <laughs> I'm going to put Stan on the spot now. Uh, Stan, have you ever striked? I have. Um, I didn't do the second, the second, I had two chances, two times when I've been on strike. The second time, uh, there was an excuse me, an emotional thing. We'd had a child um, <clears throat> drowned on um, a school, on, not on a school holiday, on when school was closed uh, in the school I was at, and I just had this feeling that if something like that happened when I was on strike, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Mm. So what I did was put money. I worked, but I put that day's money into uh, the union. Um, I think it was a, I think it might have actually been a collection at that time. That's how old I am. <laughs> there was nothing online. <clears throat> I, think we, I think we paid the local union rep who, who uh, then paid it into the union funds. Right. But yeah, um, I think you have to be desperate. The, the sad thing I've, and this is a bit personal, is a number of heads saying, well, we'll have to lose some teaching assistants then, as if they are disposable income in this and as mm. my son is one and they are paid an absolute pittance um it's just worrying that this you know the the heads always emphasize the importance you know they're very good they do a lot of work but but they are almost they the throwaway if we've got to cut the budget that's where it can get cut <coughs> yeah, ultimately it's the children that are going to suffer yeah you know because um if we, if we haven't got the staff um, to do um, the job, and, this is and... why this is why it just it has to be funded because you know it's the splitting the budget between everything that has to be split between at the moment is so difficult for head teachers, isn't it? It's just it can't it needs to be a funded pay rise. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading something to say. I mean, it, it not in the. I don't think it's such a problem in the state sector, but in the private sector, 
where apprenticeships apprentices are used and and other staff arrangements are used in in private settings they were saying that the average um salary or wage per hour is nine pound 54 for early years settings you know um and i'm not i'm not saying that you equate salary levels to quality i'm not saying that but actually if you're looking at early years as a career path in the private sector you're thinking is that really a place that i can sort of make a career from you know if 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 forever you're sort of vulnerable because you've got you know um relatively young inexperienced staff joining you you know through training programs and what have you um claire you've done very well you've you've rebooted yourself haven't you yeah i'm on my phone now instead of the laptop and And, and actually yeah you look so it's quite panoramic it's you're you're, (laughs) the angle is exactly the same as mine um so claire (laughs) what's caught your eye this week um well similarly to jasmine the uh the the payoff but um the misunderstanding that the public have about teachers and you know we earn plenty of money and, and why are we rejecting it and all the the press and you know the <clears throat> the idea that you know as it gets mentioned every time all the long holidays get plenty of money what 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 are we complaining about mm. i know yeah I think what's winding me up at the moment is is the way inflation is being used in in place of prices because they're saying, well, inflation will come down. It's been 10, 12, 18%. It's going to come down to 2.5%. But the prices aren't going to come down. They're going to still going up at a rate of 2.5%. So to say to people, well, you can't have 5, 6, 7%, it's to match what the prices are, not what the inflation is. I think the yeah. government are very clever at keep talking about in, inflation is going to come down, but that isn't. That just means that prices are going to carry on rising, but at a slower rate. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for me, um, and this will get into the relationship you three, uh, that's Jasmine, Maeve, and Claire have. For me, what's caught my eye this week is something called principled leadership, and. Uh, I've got to be careful what I say here, but there is a um, a story running through the newspapers. There's been a sting on a on an MP, and uh, clearly, you know that 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 MP appears to have broken the rules or whatever um, has been set up, but he's gone along with it, you know. And and in a way, there's something here about you know how do you you know how do you get yourself into position after those sorts of events where you can sort of assert yourself in terms of your leadership yeah because it feels as though the sort of contract you have with the staff that you you lead you know there events can happen and we all make mistakes but events can happen that actually break that bond that you have with the leaders and and how do you as a leader get yourself back into that position obviously the thing you should do is not get yourself in that position in the first place but people do make mistakes but how is there a way in which you can get yourself back to a point where you can stand up in front of everybody and say, you know, this is the way ahead. This is what we're going to do. The word you can trust me now, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Stan, have you got an eye, a view on that? I, I, I think there is a way back, but it takes a long time and you've got to show contrition. You've got to show that you you are genuinely sorry, not sorry that I got caught, but recognize that, that what you were even thinking at the time was, was the wrong thing to think. 
Um, but it takes, I would say it takes a long time for people. I don't think people ever forget that they might forgive and say, right, you know, we'll back onto square one and we'll underwrite it all. But underneath the surface, the next slight error that you make and it, it'll all <laughs> bouncing back, I think. Yeah. I think trust is, is, a, is a very fragile, it's very strong, but also very fragile. I mean, Maeve, um, you, you've been a leader like me for a, a, a reasonably long period of time. I mean, in terms of the principles that you had for leadership, you know, how, how did you demonstrate that in the work you did with your staff? What were you trying to get across? Um, I think for me, the sense of the team and including everybody in decisions was really important. Um, I mean, there were times when I did have to make a decision on my own, but if we could do things as a team, that was the best way forward for me. Um, really understanding what everybody's strengths and weaknesses were within that team and playing to their strengths was, was an important part of the leadership. Um, listening, understanding what people were going through, maybe in their private life, but sharing a genuine interest. We were, I was talking to Jasmine about this the other day showing a genuine interest in, in people's lives outside school and making people feel valued for their ideas within school as well. Um, mm. We all want to be valued, don't we, as, as uh, colleagues uh, and as people. So, yeah, I think, I think I tried very hard to do that and hopefully <laughs> succeeded. <laughs> well, they could spill the beans now, couldn't they? But let's go to Claire. What do you how do you see you know what is principled leadership to you? You know, how have you demonstrate how do you demonstrate that to the people that you work with? Um, as Maeve said, you know, it, it's about letting people know that you value what they're doing and that they're important to to your decisions and hopefully you are to theirs. So just just that being valued is so important, particularly in school because sometimes it can feel really like you're on your own and you've you know am I doing the right thing is somebody just mm. going to come in and tell me no this is wrong you need somebody there that's you know your cheerleader as it were you know really sort of encouraging you and motivating you can I can I bring it back then to the your philosophy of of education your philosophy of early years it, it, bearing in mind what Claire's just said it must be easier if you've got clarity about what you're all trying to achieve. You know, that this we have shared this idea together. You know, you, you can see your place within it rather than you rubbing up against an uncertain sort of philosophy. You know what I mean? So that point there, Claire, about well, somebody could come in time and doing it wrongly. You know, actually, if there's greater sharing of the ideas and what it all stands for and, and other leaders are demonstrating, it's easy to then get a feel for what it's meant to look like, isn't it? So in, in your settings then, when you were working together, you know, what were you trying to achieve? What were the fundamentals behind that early years setting? Who's going to go first? Jasmine, do you want to go first? Let's put you on the spot. Um, yeah, so I think, I think <laughs> that um, that is so important. You have to know what your ethos is and what you're about and what you, as a team, is your passion. Um and I think what Maeve said about trust and relationships you know that's with everyone so 
you know, the relationships with parents, the children, the staff team, that's what was always crucial, building trust, and that's building trust with the staff, but also um, building trust within the community, building trust with the children, um, that's crucial. So I think that we we talk about that a lot in the book, that actually there are certain things that, you know, before you get all the amazing artwork and all the amazing learning and all the project work that we were doing it's built it's those fundamental things it's the relationships and the trust and the um all of those things need to be there first how have you found bringing other people in or going to other schools and re-establishing what you believe in and taking people with you how how difficult has that been um I think it can I think it can be difficult. I think I'm very lucky that I've gone to another setting um which share very much shares the ethos that we we had at Oakwood. Um I think it can be difficult when new people come in, but I always feel like people need to see it. So they need to see what children can achieve. And I think if you can show them that by working in this approach children very young children can achieve these amazing things and I think once people actually see it um that's when I feel like they're they're on board and they join <laughs> because they they see the magic <laughs> <laughs> actually that should be the question they see the magic yeah um, see, I, I, I mean... have a, a theory that people see things on a surface and and think oh we can do that and try mm-hmm. and duplicate it without all that underpinning philosophy, without the, the shared yeah. commitment to it. And that's when you get a, like a, a watered-down version that starts to, to not be as effective, and that's the one that gets criticised, and then the whole of the, the philosophy gets damaged by that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Stan. And we used to do a lot of open events, and people would come, and I'd strongly encourage them to you know, look at the documentation that was available, whether that was in a floor book or on a display, to really read it, to understand what happened before and what happened during and what happened afterwards, how do we respond, rather than just looking at a, um, a picture of, a, a, I don't know, maybe a spider that a child's drawn, just for plucking an idea out of my head and thinking, oh, yeah, we could do something about spiders. Well, there was a reason why we were doing work about spiders, you know, and I think just encouraging people to to really look at what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the impact of doing it in that way was and I think quite often people came and just had a look around and oh yeah that's a good idea we'll do that and it's it's building building on sort of foundations of sand and I think what what people need to do is to really understand and that's you know something that we did with our team is to really concentrate on why we're doing this why we're doing it in this way we're not just we used to sort of question ourselves quite a lot and reflect upon well why do we do so much observational artwork and Mm. think about well why do we do it and and sort of brainstorm it together well it has this impact or it it does this for these children and um yeah I think that's important interesting should interesting should mention sand so I remember visiting you on one of those open evenings that used to have where 
people came from all over the north to, to your setting. And uh, I remember a teacher saying, oh, but we've got a Victorian classroom and the, and the windows are quite high. Um, it'd be really difficult to do that there. And I remember I was always impressed by the fact that, you know, in, in your setting, remember there was a sand area and it was made out of little bricks. It was only about, <laughs> and I remember, uh, you know, that when you go into some settings, the, 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 what is in effect a sand pit, you know, takes up vast swathes of space even inside you know and actually here was a little sand area remember you made i think it was you Mo, saying well actually if you give them that they'll play with that you know and you restrict the play but you direct it in a way that you give them stuff that enables them to to develop it you don't need it and it was as if to say you know to this this it was a gentleman saying to the gentleman well actually you know every classroom can have that it, it doesn't matter about the windows yeah. yeah, windows are you know that just brings the light in, you know. But they well, were seeing Victoria windows were designed to stop children. They were actually designed to stop children looking out, so yeah. distracted. That that's a, that was yeah. the design of the build, right? Because they were being distracted by what they saw outside. Can can I can I just before we bring it to a close? Can I just I have this thing about sequencing the curriculum. Um, it's a big thing at the moment, isn't it? Um, it always feels as though it's a big thing um, for particular subjects. So you get to a certain age and it always feels as though, well, this curriculum's got to be sequenced. They've got to do it in this order. And no doubt there are some aspects that need to be sequenced. But what's your take on sequencing the curriculum? How did you actually plan your curriculum? Can I, how do you do it, Claire? Let's go to Claire. Um. When it was uh, Jasmine, Maeve and I, uh, we spent an awfully long time <laughs> putting planning things out um, because we'd been asked to primarily um, so that the, there was a, a definite sequence of learning between nursery and reception and trying to fit in all the early learning goals, everything together. And how we did it was by thinking about what we already do what we know about the children and thinking this is what happens this isn't what we're forcing on them this is what the children already are doing so trying to turn it back if you will um, rather than just sort of going with what somebody else is telling us that this is how it works yeah like as if the children were walking down the road and you just wanted to avoid something you just gently nudge their arm and they move off to the side, yeah. I mean, uh, Maeve, you, um, I, I think the book, I don't know if you want to give it a plug, it's behind Stan's head there. There is another one, I think, as well. Yeah, there it is. Um, but I think that, that's, look at that. Oh, God. Because I'm in the in this caravan, I don't have it here. I'm really sorry. But I, um, but um, but actually, that, that book was summarising your philosophy, wasn't it? Or what you developed there. So in terms yes, of thinking about, about the curriculum, how did you plan the curriculum? How do, how do, you, how do you sort that out? Well, as, as Claire said, we did think about the things that we already did. So, you know, as far as the seasons are concerned, for example, we would always introduce leaf printing to nursery children um, in the spring, we would always look at daffodils and tulips. And yeah, there were certain things we found that we did do every year. And that was us giving the children those experiences. But what, what Rainbow Birds talks about is not that, but 
the, the, the curriculum that came that emerged from the children's interests. And uh, again, a lot that is quite often misrepresented because people think, oh, you're just giving children a free for all and they're, they're just yeah. doing what they want. But it's very much, and if you read the book carefully, it's very much about what the child is interested in or a group of children. And well, so what are we going to do? What are we going to provide or what experience are we going to provide that's going to challenge their thinking or make them think differently about that or introduce a new skill um, at, the, at a time when it's relevant for them and meaningful for them. So I think kind of the, the curriculum that Claire was talking about, yes, we had to put it in place. I call that kind of the bare bones and, and, and the kind of the other bit is the, I shouldn't say meat on the bones that might offend vegetarians, but <laughs> the icing on the cake, the That's icing it. on the cake yeah. is, um, is definitely that very rich, um, is when we see very deep learning from children, when, when we're responding particularly to their interests or their needs. So yeah. what I got from it was that, that their interests are the vehicle that you use to, to develop the, the, the same core skills, knowledge, understanding, but it's done via a vehicle. That means the child is motivated as well because they've got an interest in it. Mm. It doesn't mean that because one child's interested in, in boats and another one's interested in planes, that, that they'll learn completely different things as they go through the nursery. It'll be the mm. same skill set, the same knowledge base, but through an interest-led vehicle. And I think that gets misrepresented as, as you say, children just doing their own thing. Sorry, Jasmine, I just think motivation is the key word there because motivation is key. I mean, for us as adult learners, um, put me on a bike maintenance course and I just would not be interested at all. But send me to it, learning Italian or something like that, I'd absolutely love it. So it, it's understanding each unique child's um and and going with that having said that often one child's interest really spread and so you know two three four children and then before you know it you've got a a, quite a large group of children who are interested in something jasmine um yeah i just agreeing with Maeve. we had a little discussion about this actually um the other day but there's something so powerful about dropping in a, a a piece of learning or something you want the child to learn about but dropping it in um when they're already interested so not having a set time where you are going to learn about a certain thing but actually they're already motivated and interested anyway and then you're just dropping a little thing in and it's just so powerful because they're or that they've got that motivation and um they want to learn about it um I've got a project at the moment actually I'm working with some children and it's a, a city project, which I've I've done before because I think children are so naturally curious about where they live and the city and yeah. Leeds is such an amazing city to learn about. So we took them into the city centre, but they want to um, they want to make the city, but they want to make it at night time. So they've got this idea that they want to make it at night time. So sometimes it just takes a little comment from the adult so how will we you know how will we make it light up how will we create the lights in the city and then you've got you've got just this wonderful opportunity for learning there 
um, by just dropping it in at that moment. Mm. And I think we talked, didn't we, Jasmine, about that kind of learning is when it really sticks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sonny, I can remember um, we had a teacher when I was at primary school because we, we haven't got time for it today, but, you know, where, where does this all sort of break down, this approach break down? In, in the primary settings you know that's per perhaps for another discussion but I still remember a lesson I went we went into I was brought up in a, a new town called Basildon down down in Essex and there was a, a really tall block of flats in the centre of the town centre and always walked there every week to get our shopping with my mother and father and my brother and sister and always wondered why it was so windy under this block of flats and I still remember the teacher um asking us you know what was interesting about the place where we lived and I said well I, I'm fascinated with this so so he said well I think and there were a lot of other questions as well so he he took us down there and I might still remember going there with a uh a wind speed thing you know and holding it up and then just moving around the underneath those block of flats and thinking oh yeah well there are places here that are under the block of flats where it's not windy at all why is that you know and it's, it was really just taking something that we, you know, just throwing it out there and generally interested. And then just, and here I am in my 66th year. I can still remember a lesson that I had. In and here's me dropping time. a bit of vocabulary in. It's an anonymeter. There you go. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I'm sure he told us at the time, but I can't remember it today. Thank you, Stan. <laughs> um, okay, we end these chats with uh, something that... Um, uh, we asked colleagues, we did have room 101, but we found that to be rather negative. So we've gone for a slightly more positive one about sort of things you'd want to change in the education system uh, at the moment. So I don't know if you've got one or three, but how are you going to play it? Have you had a chat about this or Claire? Mm. No, you've not. I can sit on there. Yeah, you, the, shall, I do, shall I do mine? Yeah, I've, I've got one as well, but you you do yours. Okay. All right. So I so I thought this was still room one hundred and one. So I'm sorry if this is a bit negative. Okay. <laughs> but um, I'm not a fan of at the moment um, virtual <laughs> home reader books. Oh yeah. So so children being sent a book to read online, um, and I know that it, it's common at the moment. And I know it's difficult with budgets because actually. Um, having to buy all the books to send home can be difficult. Um, but I just think it's so important for children to have a real book to look at. And I think some children don't have have those opportunities at home. And I just think that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. How do, how do they make sure that every child's got access to a reader or to a, a, a device? How do they ensure that? I mean, surely that's discriminatory against those that haven't got that you know that device that connect connection at home yeah well yeah I mean most people have phones I suppose and they can be accessed on phones god I, I dread to think <laughs> yeah, having all the reading you blighting on my phone <laughs> you're giving your age away now Stan uh, <laughs> I think also uh, related children are on the on phones and tablets enough you know they yeah. have they have enough screen time, and I think to add to it by saying, "Look, you're going to do your reading book on a on a screen." Um, I don't think it's helpful. And often, like Jasmine said, it would be on a on a small phone. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So Claire, you've got to be careful because you're like Jasmine in full time employment. So just be careful what you say here. Have you got something you'd want to change at all? 
Um, oh, there's plenty of things I'd like to change. Um, I think it's it's this idea that that key stage one, um, we have to be ready for key stage one, basically. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, we, I'm with you all the way on this one. Uh, we'll put, that, if it was room one hundred and one, I think we'd all put that in there. Go on, carry on, yeah. carry on. But just I I accept that you know there's, there's a a transition period needed and we need to to bridge that gap a bit but I'm not sure that making such young children you know sit at tables and and they need they them. need to be ready for us that's what I always say yeah. <laughs> but actually we we did a one of the uh, a fascinating chat we had uh, with two colleagues who have written a book about moving around the classroom and uh and that was very, very popular. I think we underestimate the number of people out there who, who feel as though what's happening at the moment isn't right, but haven't got either a vehicle for changing it, or mm-hmm. actually haven't thought about, well, how would I change? I know it's not right, but what, what could it look like? But uh, uh, Bryn, uh, I think it's Bryn Llewellyn uh, has written a book about moving around the classroom, and, and I'll put a link to that at the end of this video, but it's a it, it, it's a really and he's coming back in a couple of him and his colleague are coming back in a couple of weeks so but it but there are colleagues out there you know there, there is a movement out there of people who want to sort of try and break that down can i just ask a final question then in regio Emilio, when you go out to uh when you've gone out to see that is this an early years approach or is that actually about education and it flows all the way through through schools you know beyond just the early years Interesting, because um, this question was asked a lot when when I was on my study visits and they kind of don't give you a straight answer. But but the important thing is that their early years approach goes right up until our current year two. So children have... In a lot um, of countries, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's... And it's it's what I would put in the bin as well. (laughs) Too formal, too formal, too soon. I mean... There is no evidence to suggest that it's beneficial for children and they, that they learn any more or any more effectively. But um, I think what we saw in Italy was children having that approach until they were, you know, six going on seven. Um, mm. The things that they were, were achieving were absolutely astounding. I mean, we've seen it in our children up to the age of five. But if you take that on, so, I know some schools do this. Um, yeah, I went to a school up in the northeast where they had this approach up, up to the end of year two. Uh, sadly, that head teacher left, and the approach is no longer the same in that school. But it was just absolutely amazing. Um, the the writing and and the the things that the more formal things came very naturally from the thing the other things, the questions and the, the lines of inquiry that the children had. So yeah, I think too much too soon is is not a good thing and and the other thing is when you know we get children entering our reception year who are four in August that means they were three at the beginning of August and then they're they're in a classroom with somebody who's five in September and they're all expected to sit down and and hold a pencil at a table you know even a lot of schemes have taken away the the big right you know the nice uh, chunky dry wipes yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and whiteboards because that's not acceptable anymore which you know these it, it's it's a bit crazy really it doesn't make sense to me no. 
I, I do think we've, we've. I mean, my philosophy was always that what we what we did in early years should run through the school. That should have been the approach to right through. I when I was a teacher, I used to do play in year six. We used to play at things. We had an area that was, you know, if we were doing. I remember we were doing some geography topic, and we had a um, travel agents in the corner, and and the, the children had timetables to go and play in the travel agents. Mm. Um, I think I would now get hoisted out if I if I was uh, right. doing that. But I do I do think it's important that we we preserve different ways of of doing things that work. The problem is that people aren't seeing if they work. They're just seeing that it's a different way and it's not the way we think you should do it. Therefore, it must be wrong. Mm. And everyone everyone knows as well, you know, having your own children. I've got a child who's now in year six, but, you know, she still plays in the garden and makes potions and they, they they still play, don't they? But we have this view that year six, oh, it's very grown up and they need to sit and they they can't. You, you know take away their afternoon play time and but actually play is still very important to them it's still yeah. it's still the way that they're working out the world around them and the example I used to give was give adults when when PCs first came out there's a paint program where you could you could have a thing and, and paint if you put an adult on that the first time they would paint the picture that any early years <laughs> there'd be big broad brushes and eventually they'd colour the whole of the screen in one colour. Almost <laughs> everyone did it. And it was because I need to find out what these materials are. I need to find out how it works. Nobody went for, let's do a fine art drawing of Van Gogh or something like that. Mm. No. And then you got the house that every child draws. <laughs> Yeah. Even though there's no house in the country that looks like that. <laughs> the chimney with the smoke coming yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's also sad. I mean, I, as you were saying, Jasmine, I, I, I've got we've got, now got five grandchildren and uh, two of them are at school. One's in year six and one's in year three. And and actually, I uh, and the year six child has had a great year. Um and uh, bearing in mind, you know, the problems that there have been around lockdown, it really feels as though, you know, the government's not really been very effective in, in tackling many of these issues. But for her, I asked her recently, you know, do you, does your teacher still read to you, a class reader? You know, no, we, we don't have time for that anymore. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see when, when does all this stuff start to break down, you know, and, and how much of it has been lost you know, um, that's what we test, Frank. Mm. If you only test for what you want to, to happen, the results are always going to be right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't know how long we've been on. <laughs> you know what? It's been this is probably the one of the longest. It must be 50 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and we normally cut we normally cut them off after about 35 <laughs> anyway, um can i thank you all for joining us and yeah. uh again we'd love to have you back so i'll throw a date to you uh for next year all being well we're still doing these we've actually got guests now lined up to november um so uh, uh it doesn't look as though it's going to stop anytime soon so uh, thanks everybody for joining and uh, if i can thank get all the buttons oh uh, no it's been a pleasure it always is if I can get the buttons right, I can end it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's see. Anyway, I'll say goodbye to you all and we'll be with you again uh, next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm probably going to stop it now. All right. <laughs>